Hello there, he's Aidan Power. And he's Simon Delaney. And you know what? We've teamed up to bring you a new Goal Out original podcast. That's right. It is called Goal Out Selects and it does what it says on the tin. We will curate, review and recommend the best movies, podcasts, music, gigs, games, foods, things and all. Anyways, join us every Wednesday. Don't forget you'll get the episode first on the Goal Out app. Goal Out Selects. Brought to you by Sky. Watch new exclusive and unmissable content only on Sky. Moncrief on News Talk with Avant Money. Money when you need it with Avant Money credit cards. Avant Card DAC trading as Avant Money is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Time now to look at some stories from other parts of the world. Jonathan de Burka Butler joins us once again. Good afternoon, Jonathan. Sean, how are you getting on? Not too bad. Good. And we're going to go to Yemen first, uh, yeah. where the president has ceded power. Yeah, I, we were in Yemen last week, but I think that the situation is moving along so rapidly and and there's quite a bit of detail in it that I'd go back and visit again. So you might remember that there was a truce was called about two weeks ago at the beginning of Ramadan and uh, it has led to peace talks which are being held in Saudi Arabia, uh, although the Houthi rebels have not turned up to those peace talks yet. Okay, Mm. but one particular thing has happened. Now, nobody was sure that these, this ceasefire is supposed to last for two months, but nobody was sure, what, you know, who was going to give and who was going to take. But one of the things that has happened is that the Yemeni president, Mansour Hadi, has ceded his powers to a new presidential leadership council. He's been there since the beginning of the war in 2014. So the fact that he's gone and his vice president is quite significant right now. Yeah. This is seen as a move to try and bring what's kind of laughably called the coalition, i.e. the people who are all fighting against the Houthi rebels, closer together so that they're negotiating under one sort of banner, all right? Okay. So this presidential leadership council, which is eight men, unsurprisingly, because we're in that part of the world, uh, has been tasked with going and talking to the Houthi uh, leadership to come up with some sort of a solution. And it has been broadly welcomed right across the board. In fact, the Americans, who weren't an insignificant player in this particular war, have taken the opportunity now to pass a war powers resolution in the, in the, the House in Congress, which basically means that if they start up the war again, they've said to Saudi Arabia, we're not giving you any money. We have other bigger things going on. Yeah. We're not interested anymore seems the Saudis are pushing these peace talks along because they're probably not as interested as they as they used to be either. And okay. given that the Houthis are backed by the Iranians and there's a nuclear deal on the table, maybe everybody is hoping that things will kind of calm down a little bit and they don't need this proxy war anymore. Yeah. It's a significant move and hopefully it's a great move because this has been dragging on for years. Uh, are there any indications uh, how the Houthi feel about it? Yeah, that's the thing. They're still not going to those peace talks in Saudi Arabia as far as I know. The only thing that we can tell is that the ceasefire But the is choice holding. of location though, really. Oh, it's very poor. Yeah, yeah. yeah as, as we mentioned last week, yeah. you know, they're going to have to change it. Um, Turkey might jump in there. Um, they seem to be wanting to sort of uh, make a... a, a what do the, the Italians call it? A bella figura. They make themselves look good, yeah, uh, basically. Yeah. And and so uh, they might jump in there. But uh, no, the only thing I can say about that, sorry to wrap up on this particular one, is that the ceasefire is holding. So they're sticking to it. So that's that's a good thing, I suppose. Yeah. Right. OK, uh, Nigeria. Uh, next, we're going to go to and a human is sentenced to 20 years in prison and, and pleaded guilty. 
Yeah, he did. This is a man who we have actually spoken about before, uh, Mubarak Bala. He's the president of the Humanist Association of Nigeria. He's actually the son of a former religious scholar from a state of Kano in the north of Nigeria, which is majority Muslim and quite a conservative state. Uh, I think they have Sharia law in that particular state. Uh, But this is a guy who renounced Islam back in 2014 and his family put him into a psychiatric ward. They had him sectioned, basically, right? But when he came out of that... He kept on going and he's been critical of Islam ever since. And he made a post on Facebook in April 2020 in his home state of Kaduna, where he had moved to from Kano. He was Mm. arrested in that particular state and then moved to Kano, where he stood trial last week and pleaded guilty uh, to 18 counts of blasphemy. And he's been sentenced to prison for 24 years as a result. Any indication why he decided to plead guilty? Yeah, his lawyers came out of the trial and they said to quote them we were in shock they really have no idea why he did it because all along he was he was saying that he was going to plead not guilty and he was mm. going to defend himself but it seems and there's speculation that the authorities might have got to him and they basically said to him you know if you plead guilty we'll go easy on you we'll make sure that you get protection in prison that you don't have an accident shall we say yeah. and we'll also make sure that your family isn't harmed now his family haven't been that particularly good to him at least his, on his father's side I don't yeah. know if there's another family there that he, he needs to look after but he seems to have changed his, changed his mind uh, quite inexplicably and now he's 24 years in prison um, it's outrageous to be honest with you it's quite 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 crazy uh, and he's president of the Humanist Association so presumably mm. there are other humanists in Nigeria who might be a bit nervous yeah moment. they are absolutely you know the the implication for the the movement as a whole is not particularly good and when you think that actually a high court in the capital Abuja which is very far away from the state it should be said ordered his release and it was absolutely ignored hmm. uh, by the courts and the authorities in Kano it shows you the level of um, power that they, each state has and, and how, how how they can kind of get away with it. Yeah. So I don't know if any, I know there's various different humanist associations around the world in the UK and the like who are trying to put pressure on the government but how, how good that will be, yeah. you know, can that be passed on to the state authorities? I don't know. Uh, right, Italy we're going to go to next and uh, this it's an odd case in one mm. sense. This Chinese lecturer working in Italy who, you know, read the room, professor, uh, you're, you're in a different country. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's from Milan. This is in the Politecnico di Milano. He's an architecture lecturer um, and a Chinese national, a man by the name of Chen Zen. And the weird thing about this is is, is that he, he basically implicated himself, to be mm. honest with you, right? He recorded footage of the conversation that he had with his student who happened to be from Taiwan. So it basically goes like this they had a, they were having a meeting about a thesis there was two Iranian students and a Taiwanese student and at the beginning of the call he said to the two Iranian guys listen guys I need to talk to this student and I'm going to talk in from Taiwan and I'm going to talk in Chinese he proceeded to talk to him and tell him that everything was okay with his thesis only that the, the template that he had entered the thesis on had put down where he was from. He had written down where he was from and it said Taipei, Taiwan. Mm. And he proceeded to tell him that no such place existed and that the European Union didn't recognise it, that Italy didn't recognise it and that it needed to be changed and he wouldn't would, wouldn't recognise it either. So he, he lectured him on politics effectively, um, recorded it and put it out on a social media station or channel called WeChat. 
This was picked up by uh, somebody in Australia uh, who basically put it out on Twitter and then it came back to Italy where it's blown up now. It's become mm. a big political thing. So this uh, this uh, Chinese professor is now being investigated by the university um, who are basically saying that their, their code of conduct means that they have to combat all kinds of discrimination, both direct and indirect. Um, there's been calls from MPs in Italy that this guy be sacked and... Uh, it hasn't gone down particularly well. Yeah, and when might there be an, a resolution to that, that investigation? No, that I don't know, to be honest with you. I mean, it, it, it actually it comes off the back of a couple of controversies um, involving Taiwan and Italy of late. Uh, there was another one where I think it was a, a children's book fair where there was an artist who um, had an exhibition dedicated to him and they said, the book fair people said that he was from Taiwan and the Chinese embassy actually got involved and told them to change it to China and they were successful. Um, mm. So, you know, quite well, a bit of pressure gets yeah, put on these things. Yeah, because in a lot of European universities there is Chinese money Absolutely. or Chinese funded institutions yeah, yeah. and therefore perhaps pressure could be brought to yeah, bear and, in, in, and, in that regard. And about 18 months ago the Italians did a big economic deal with China as well. Uh, so, uh, there you go. Uh, right, Singapore we're going to go to next uh, and this is a story about an Australian uh, convicted of killing a Muslim man with a wine bottle. Yeah, horrible story about a man in his 40s uh, by the name of Andrew Gosling uh, in Singapore. Now, as you know, because I know you've been there, um, it, it's a country of about five and a half million people, but there's a lot of mix of people in it. So they like to mm. keep that kind of um, cohesion, well, I suppose balance, I suppose. Yes. In, in, I wouldn't say cohesion, but balance in society as much as they possibly can. Um, this particular man was staying in a, an apartment complex when he saw a family of Malay Asians coming down to the um, barbecue area and he was drunk and he decided to take it upon them, himself to frighten this particular family. He said he in the trial that he wanted to startle them. So he threw a wine bottle in their direction and it hit the grandfather of the family, a 73-year-old man. He suffered injuries and he died the next day. Okay, So obviously this Australian guy was arrested. It went to trial and he has now been convicted of causing death and grievous hurt by a rash act and he's got five and a half years, which I think is pretty lenient actually. Yeah. Yeah. for his troubles. I guess it's a kind of a manslaughter charge or a grievous hurt by a rash axe something like that. It sounds like manslaughter but mm. um, yeah very sad story. Yeah. Very strange one too. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, New York we're going to go to next. Now probably people listening will be aware that this has been tried uh, on a number of occasions to mm. unionise sections of Amazon but they've finally succeeded. They have in the United States. Uh, this is the first US based labour union in the company's history and um it's at a warehouse in Staten Island. Quite a number of people working there. I was I, I had a deep look into this now and, and they voted 55% in favour of forming the Amazon Labour Union, right? But the numbers were 2,654 versus 2,131. So it's a big old place. Yeah, yeah, big place, right? And it won't surprise people to know that it's a fulfilment centre, basically, where they, you know, distribute all the packages mm. and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's a big surprise um, for Amazon more than anything um, who said that they're disappointed with the outcome because they believe that having a direct relationship with the company is best for employees. Um, And they have been known to um, sort of 
uh, clamp down on movements to unionize uh, yeah. throughout yeah. their you know history. What is it? Two decades, over two decades now, mm. I suppose that they've been around. Um, so this is not something that they'll be particularly happy with. Uh, though the people who voted for it are, were delighted, judging by the photos that I saw. Yeah, and, and presumably then uh, this union have they said yet what's on their agenda of things to do? Yeah, sure. I mean, it was organised basically by a guy called Chris Smalls, and he was fired for organising a protest at the beginning of COVID. Mm. Uh, he organised a really small protest. They took him in and said, "Oh, listen, you're causing hassle. We're going to fire you." There is your direct relationship. Yeah, you were talking exactly. About. Yeah, absolutely. So this was a bad idea because this guy turned out to be extremely popular. And the focus of their attention is um, uh, better uh, work conditions, right? So these guys do 10-hour shifts and uh, they have um, overtime that's mandatory, all Mm. this kind of thing. So they're looking to get rid of that. But the big thing is that they're looking to get $30 per hour. Um, which is quite a significant amount of money, I think. And uh, that's going to be their first demand. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that'll be interesting to see. How Very that goes. interesting. Because I suppose if they, if they get any kind of a concession out of Amazon, then that might set, um, you know, that, that might have a domino effect on other parts of the Amazon empire. Absolutely. And not just that. I mean, a couple of commentators have basically said there's a wave of activism going on and that this will lead to more. It's been welcomed by the White House as well, which is interesting. Oh. Red, Red Joe, as, as, as his detractors <laughs> would call him, was very positive about the outcome of this. Uh, right. Canada we're going to now. And this is an interesting story and, and it's relation to, uh, because obviously there's, a, well, not obviously, but there is something of a housing crisis there too. Mm. And, and one of the measures they've taken to try and uh, combat that. Yeah, the finance minister, this was in a budget, her name is uh, Christia Freeland. Uh, obviously, she's a member of Justin Trudeau's government and um, they've announced that they're going to ban foreign investors from buying homes in Canada for two years. Mm. Um, it's as simple as that, really. Or, yeah. or is it? Uh, at least on paper it is. But there are a few exceptions to that, right? So permanent residents will be allowed to buy. Foreign students will also be allowed to buy. And though... Um, it has been greeted in some quarters with positivity. There are other people who basically point to the fact that they don't think this was the major factor in driving up prices. No, yeah. Similar to here, it's lack of supply and demand all or whatever, things. all those but different things. But it's the things. large institutional investors that they're... they're well, I guess that's I guess that's what they're trying to that's what they're trying to target. But there's a few bumps in the road along the way. There could be various different problems with that Mexico U.S. Canada trade deal um, mm. that will you know probably put a stop to various aspects of this law. Also, I don't think housing policy is. Um, dealt with on a national on level. On a federal level, yeah. yeah because, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and there's various different things around that. And, and there's also possibility of a test case being brought around discrimination against foreigners and that kind of <laughs> thing. So there's all sorts of possibilities where it could go wrong. But uh, it's a nice gesture. Yeah, we shall see. <laughs> right, El Salvador we're going to go to finally. And uh, um, uh, accusations of censorship or actual censorship? It's it's hard. It, well, it is censorship, really. I suppose El, El Salvador's Congress has voted uh, to authorize prison sentences of between ten and fifteen years for news media that reproduce or disseminate disseminate messages from gangs. Okay, right. So uh, th- there's two sides to this, right? Th- there's been desperate stuff going on for years in El Salvador, but recently it's it's really ramped up. So on the 26th of March, 62 people were killed in gang related. Uh, murders there and this put pressure on the president Nayib Bukele to uh, I don't know come come up with some sort of an action plan and he's done that right he's arrested over 6,000 people and thrown them in jail 
Um, he's only giving prisoners two square meals a day. He's taken mm. away their mattresses, various other things that he's done. But this is, um, as you said, a clampdown on the media reporting uh, the messages of gangs. And the El Salvador Journalists Association are basically saying that this will create an illusion that is not faithful to the truth, right? So they're saying that, you know, it'll make it look as if everything's going fine when it's not. The flip side of that is the media likes to kind of make stars out of these guys. I, I don't know if you remember before when we covered these stories and I showed you footage of um, uh, press conferences yeah, being had yeah. in prison. Uh, by these guys that were called by gang leaders in prison and the media would turn up as if it was a football match. Mm. Uh, so there is a bit of a circus around this whole thing. Um, so you could argue that, that this is kind of trying a, uh, to put a bit of a stop to it. But Yeah, OK. That's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting take there, actually. Yeah. Right, so what should we look out for over the next uh, week or so? Yeah, it's not too much coming up um, other than Ukraine and Russia, obviously. Um, April the 16th is the 95th birthday of Pope Benedict. Um, so okay. uh, he, that'll be celebrated, no doubt. Whether he knows much about it or not, I don't know. And then you can expect to see the coverage of French elections to ramp up uh, quite a lot over the next week and a half I'd yeah, say it's going to be interesting stuff I think all of Europe will be watching that Absolutely. Jonathan thanks a million thanks for coming into us as ever Jonathan De, De Burka Butler there Moncrief on News Talk with Avant Money money when you need it with Avant Money credit cards Avant Card DAC trading as Avant Money is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland Considering the role technology will play in the future of education is now a key focus for school leaders. At Exertus Ireland, together with Microsoft, we're here to support schools every step of the way with powerful tools to help create brighter futures. Talk to us today about solutions for your school. Visit exertus.ie forward slash Microsoft Teaching and Learning. Exertus.ie forward slash Microsoft Teaching and Learning.